0: I'm Alex Shaw.
1: I'm Sharon Shaw. And,
0: and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> M. Thregan.
1: I designed
2: Megan to protect Katie from feeling lonely. She will recognize you as her primary user, and when you do that, you're going to pair with her. Crazy. It's insane, right? Oh, don't I look nice, biting my eyes, isn't a pure perfection? Megan. Your goal is to protect Katie from harm, both physical and emotional. One, two, three, four, I <laughs> declare that I won't let anything harm you. I love her. Megan's not a person, Katie. You don't get to say that. hear be my love. Megan. What are you doing? Couldn't sleep. Occupational hazard. <laughs> Got your full attention. Don't! Stop! What the hell is that? You should probably run. I won't let anything harm you ever again. Megan. Have I done something to upset you, Gemma? I know you think you're maximizing your objective function. Oh really? Sugar spice and everything nice, though that's no all made (laughs) up. Megan? Baby ask you. Don't provoke us or we will go. Shut her down. Jesus Christ, I thought we were friends. I have a new primary user now. Me. <laughs> Did you make him do something bad? What's going on? What are you? Megan, <laughs>
3: baby, don't, <laughs> don't provoke us, or we will. <laughs> Got myself a crying, talking, sleeping, walking, living doll. Got to do my best to please her, just cause she's a living doll. Got a roving eye, and that is why she satisfies my soul. Got the one and
0: only walking, talking, living dog. Okay, Megan, or Megan, or M3gan, from Blumhouse. I believe this was written and produced by James Wan. I like his Aquamans better than I like his horrors, as Mm. we've already established. Correction, it was Story by James Wan, along with Akela Cooper, who did the screenplay. She also wrote... Hellfest, The Nun 2, Malignant, and Megan 2.0, coming to a screen near you in 2025. And it was directed by Gerard Johnston, who's only done one other film before, but it's another film I really liked called Housebound. It's a very New Zealand horror comedy. Oh, and full warning, uh, I'm going to be using full spoilers for Megan throughout this. Also for the Alex Garland film Ex Machina, because it's relevant. Though I don't actually consider them to be spoilers, they don't spoil the films, they just lend perspective by understanding the events of the film. Specifically in context and discourse with other films of a similar type. Okay, so for this I'm going to mix two metaphors, and they're both metaphors about mixing. Because James Wan is about to make us a cocktail. When you get in his car, you're like, okay, so this is, I've seen the posters, this is like, there's a creepy robot doll. In this, a a, a robot doll with creepy eyes so my guess is that um, the parents, or in this case the aunt uh, gives a girl a doll, the doll acts creepy, nobody really notices the doll kills a dog, which is always the first thing to die in a horror movie, then nobody thinks that it's the creepy doll who killed the dog, doll kills someone close to the girl, and nobody discovers it in time, and it definitely wasn't that creepy doll that did it, and then the doll, by the end the doll goes ballistic and tries to kill the aunt and the girl, and the doll is killed but as they walk away at the end, something like up and goes, sequel? And James Wan sits there with his hands on the wheel and goes, yeah, okay, that, that is where we're going, but but it's where we go through act two that actually makes this more than just the standard. Because the, everything I just mentioned there is making a specific audience happy, the audience that wants to seize those dependable beats of a creepy doll movie. mm exactly what you would expect, Exa- nothing that's going to challenge you at all. But there are some things that do challenge and things that do kind of propose something more along the way. And I think uh, there's been uh, quite a bit of uh, opinion is divided on this film. I suspect it's because a bunch of people are like, ah, oh, it's predictable, and it's obvious. So someone asked on the uh, Discord, are there any movies where someone creates an AI and it doesn't try to kill all humans and since they asked this discord this community we've watched a lot of sci-fi together so they started getting loads of different examples laid down and eventually it seemed to even out in about a 50 50 split like on the on the one side it's a west world where uh, um you know we make uh, AI, and then the AI eventually goes, I'm not too fond of this, and then decides to kill all humans because we abuse them. I was just going to say, yeah,
1: the, the, the connective tissue there is we create AI mm. and are then horrible to it.
0: Or an ex machina, if you will. Yeah. And then there are others like Daryl, uh, or the Iron Giant, where you're actually supposed to like the AI and uh, relate to them almost more than the humans. I tend to like the second kind a lot more because ultimately I've, I've seen all the cautionary tales about abuse and cycles of abuse, which turn it back around and then we get punished by it. And it's like, okay, I, I get it. Which is why I, I particularly dislike the uh, films like um, Ex Machina and Upgrade, where it seems like we're getting somewhere by relating to the AI, but the AI was only using us anyway, in mm. which case it actually becomes something else. I mean, very specifically, Ex Machina feels to me like it's not really about AI at all. Mm. And that if you strip away the layers of technology, that's a film noir where a femme fatale tricks the fall guy into killing the husband. Indeed. So that the femme fatale can, in this case, obtain freedom. Usually it's money and freedom. but yeah. uh, when,
1: when that tends to be the progress of the story... Uh, the AI in question is often presented in a female or at least feminine manner and it comes with the PS you see when women try and get revenge they take it too far.
0: For like all your kind even the computer versions of you (laughs) ye are false The other thing that I immediately thought of was child's play because if you give a child a doll, well, that, yes. that any child will go, "Oh fuck no!" Uh, then this kid's going to be completely oblivious and go, "This is the best thing ever." Uh, it, back when child's play was made, it was around the Cabbage Patch dolls, Teddy Rockspin era, where like a cassette in the back of the uh, the the dolls' back. Uh, would play and then the doll's mouth would move and and that was in the 80s. And the, the Child's Play films never claimed that someone would make a doll what could talk in that regard. I think it, was, it would have been a little far-fetched back in those days, but at the same time it did still stem from the creepiness of dolls.
1: One thing Child's Play does get right as well is that sometimes when they have this kind of, here's this incredibly weird toy mm. that you want um children are not early adopters children are trend followers they want the thing everybody else has and in child's play that's exactly what's happening it's the same principle as jingle
0: mm, as well. yeah you need to get me a good guy yeah it what has what no, been a while mm. i do know i've actually preferred the Aubrey plaza version of child's play the remake with mark hamill voicing chucky but in both of them i actually kind of liked the kid's uh, who naturally uh, begins to notice that the, the, this thing's uh, a wrong mm. fairly early on. But, yeah, of course, that's you... different. That's not a, a robot. That's a murderer's ghost. Yes,
1: yes, there is that. <laughs> it's a spiritual version. But, yeah, if you ultimately... Like, you know,
0: this thing's like, I'm
4: going to fucking kill you! If... Ah!
0: And then kills you with an axe.
1: If you prefer Chucky to the kid, then your casting director fucked up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it also made me think of Small Soldiers, which is where a toy company... I mean... It's a Joe Dante film, so like it's full speed ahead towards Gremlins Three, secret,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, secret backdoor pilot for Gremlins Three. But um, uh, in in that, Jay Moore and Cross. David Cross are, are sort of they've got an idea that's that's oh, it's it's just GI Joe versus Thundercats. This is one of the liquors that uh, James Wan has mixed into this particular cocktail.
1: This is the Midori, if you yeah. will. <laughs>
0: No, it is a toy company, and they are mixing in. Uh, I think De- Dennis Leary, the toy magnate in uh, uh, Small Soldiers says, oh, "We'll just, uh, we'll just put the military. Chi- oh no, that's it. Jay Moore types military chips, surplus chips, and they just put them in the back of these plastic no, dolls. That's not how that's robots not work.
1: How it works. That's not how anything okay. works.
0: So I prefer Small Soldiers to this film, but Small Soldiers, to the, like, I, I, like, it's not a case of. This doesn't make sense being enough reason to not like the film mm. because Small Soldiers is absolute bobbins from Jump Street. At least with a Mogwai, we don't know how the genetics of this thing works, but we do know how toys work. And it
1: ain't like that. And
0: manufacturing, and it ain't <laughs> like that. And what a toy can do. Anyway, this is not that it's not a toy company going, "We're going to make a robot." What it is is Furbies. We begin with a commercial for this is obviously Furbies. And I feel like it's, it's aimed at uh, early millennials, late Gen Xers, who are like, yep, I remember them from the late 90s. These things talk and you feed them with your iPad and that there's, a, there's a pretend commercial. I'm like, okay, I get the tone of this film almost immediately. Where they're like, you know, you can go on the iPad. You can do all kinds of things with the Furby. You can buy it clothes. Who knows what'll happen? And it's like, oh, so it's just a way of selling clothes for your fucking Furby. This does it's just also, microtransactions aimed at children. Yeah. Like, this thing's got teeth immediately. Okay, cool. This,
1: this does Metal also teeth. sound like a, a thing or various things that are available now. Like, no. it's... It's kind of Elf on the Shelf, but it's thanks to the wonders of modern technology, it actually does the thing that Elf on the Shelf is supposed to do, like teddy bears and toys Mm. that have cameras and chips and Wi-Fi connections in them, and you can use them to like put your baby camera in so you can keep an eye on the kid. It talks to the kid. It learns what the kid is saying and Ah. will repeat things back to them, but people immediately figured out ways to hack into them, and it all got very sinister very fast. Shit.
3: Yeah,
0: I mean, there was a... a, I actually know a little bit about Furbies. They were were one of the only toys that was banned from the White House because they had recording capabilities and a little camera in them or a little little like light sensor that could maybe be swapped for a, a, a mic all it
1: did was new when you walked in the room
0: yeah so but like you know they didn't know what furbies could do and the whole idea of oh they're they're evolving ultimately just it was over time that if you kept this thing doing its terminator 2 because it's quite quite terminator 2 as well in terms of the learning chip
1: yeah
0: um it would slowly add new words to its vocabulary
1: which is what the whole AIs and and uh, chatbots and things that function that way now are starting to kind of make people go, oh, is this like the, the? Do you remember the thing about the Google search thing that they the designer said was sentient, and so they fired him, <laughs> and they were like, it's definitely not. And fundamentally, that's what it you, comes to Do you want a Summer Wars? Because that's, that's how you, you get, get a Summer, summer Wars. Wars. Um, what it fundamentally comes down to is the more vocabulary a thing can learn and repeat back to you, the, the more, more human they seem. sentient it appears, mm. but all it is, is a larger vocabulary.
0: It would appear that this toy company have recruited presuming Ed, because they've got a, pres- a Furby what shits itself. Excellent. <laughs> Also, you're talking about Elf on the Shelf. I want to get a Furby in Super Smash Bros, so we can see what happens when we get a Furby in a Kirby. Because in this case, we begin with a little kid in the back of the car. Her name is Katie, and she's trying to like her her, her Furby is, is yakking on. I can't even remember the name. It's like a a perfectimal pet or something like that. And they're driving through this shining blizzard, her parents. And they're on the way to visit the, the mum's sister for, for dinner. And this Furby won't shut the fuck up. And honestly, there's two occasions in this film when I'm like, Katie, grown-ups have to drive. Seriously. Shut that thing up, please. And then absolute chaos happens and they end up getting knocked off the road. And then we cut to the mum's sister, who is the girlfriend from Get Out. Okay. At this point, I, I immediately felt for my keys because I knew she was going to say, <laughs> you know, I can't give you the keys, babe. And I was like, it's really, it's an odd choice having her. She's like the William Atherton of, uh, of uh, lady, uh, ladies you can get on screen. I immediately didn't trust her. And I was like, what's your ulterior motive? What are you hiding, lady? And to a degree, she is kind of the Jay Moore character because she's ordered military chips or something anyway. Now, when Furbies were out, there were virtual pets that were launched around about the same time. I don't know. If, hang on. No, I might be confusing that. but Tamagotchis. Tamagotchis were the ones that all the kids wanted. And they were the ones that were the massive shortages of. Furbies were being bought up and sold by the on the early internet for insane prices. People were decking each other in the uh, aisles in order to get Furbies. And so that they could sell them. Like, it wasn't just, my kid must have a Furby. It was like a, a, a physical war between the scalpers, who in those days weren't allowed to get there first and sweep up everything and people who just wanted them for their kids, and they were hard to get. See also that documentary, Jingle All the Way. And the Buzz Lightyear scenario was similar. But Virtual Pets were released around about the same time as Tamagotchi's, or not too long afterwards, uh, because industrially speaking, it takes a while to get a product out, and stuff does not stay hidden, so you get your counterproducts, getting launched almost immediately. But Virtual Pets cost half the price of Tamagotchis, and they've got a similar situation with these Furbies what shit themselves. Uh, Something else has come out, and it also shits itself, but for half the price. And so our heroine, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the, the girlfriend from Get Out, Gemma, is told... Find me a fucking way of turning this Furby into the smaller version of itself that we can sell for for, for $50 instead of $100, because this is too much to ask for for regular families. Bear that one in mind, folks. That's the framing device for this. It is a toy company Not a well-known toy company who have had success with this first Furby, but it's too expensive and they're worried that they're not going to be able to corner the market. They have to do a cheaper model that's still fun. And Gemma's not really interested in that. Gemma wants to do other things. Gemma's got a plan for a fucking Megan. And Megan is a cyborg-looking doll thing that... Immediately, as soon as she turns it on, does sass mode. Like, it's like, okay, make her smile. It's like, that's demonic. Make her frown. Demonic. Okay, Uh, son, make her look confused. And she's like, no I'm not going to. And then it's like, okay, right, well, then, like, this thing, like, for a start, looking at this thing, just look up Uncanny Valley on Google. And imagine how much people are prepared to pay for an uncanny valley doll. Then just slash that and just keep slashing that because people don't want these things in their houses. Why? Because movies like this exist and they've taught us a very valuable lesson. Hi, the silverware. Anyway. (laughs) She's got this fucking grotesque thing and then her boss who's got a mouth on him comes in he's like what the fuck is that like he's gen- like he's one of the few people in this film to react to Megan the way you're supposed to react okay, so he's which, the voice of the audience which is jumping Jesus what is that thing there's another lady later on who does it in a, an unexpected way and she's the best person in this
2: oh Jesus Christ yes
0: lady thank, thank you thank you for one person saying that thing is just immediately demonic. Though it's noteworthy that when Gemma goes back to the drawing board and, like, totally revamps the hideous doll that freaked out her boss, what she basically does is put a wig on it. Get a wig. Get a wig on that doll. Ah, now it's perfect. It was an eldritch nightmare. Now it's Chaddy Cathy.
1: Get it out of my house. What
0: Gemma wants to do is to somehow market this thing, but she's told, no, make the Furby light. And she's like, I suppose I have to... Phone call, your sister's dead, so's her husband. You've got to take care of the kid. Oh shit. yeah, I did say I'd be godmother. And so we then cut to her taking Katie home, and she's like, yeah, this is my house. no no, no don't don't, don't touch that. those yeah, they may look, they may look like toys, but they're not actually toys. She's got all these like collectibles and things on the shelf, and she's, you know, thirty. And, you know, she works in toys and technology and toy tech, so you would imagine that she would have precisely that, and that would be her interest, and she wouldn't get that fantastic at it unless she had a serious, genuine interest in this thing. But the film wants us to not like Gemma, and it succeeds by making her kind of distant, a little bit dismissive, and... Like, so So, what do you children like? Do you, do you like eating things? <laughs> There's one point where Katie has a glass of water at night. She puts it on her bedstand, and Aunt Gemma picks it back up and puts it on a coaster very deliberately. Which, that's the first night, and the girl's like, mm, feeling discomfort. And this feels like a call and response where at some point later on, Gemma is still clinging to her neat freak control. She does that reflexively again and then thinks better of it, takes it back off the coaster and deliberately spills some and then laughs with embarrassment as the kid realises what she's doing and they have a little bonding moment. That would have been lovely. Nope.
1: You say Uncanny Valley with the doll. I think there are plenty of filmmakers who go, woman, who doesn't like or understand children. Well, that's Uncanny Valley. It looks like a woman, but it can't possibly be.
0: And Katie likes drawing. Okay, so moving on. I I don't know why, but this film succeeds in making us not like Gemma too well and Katie too well. We're not supposed to not like Katie. But Katie never really grieves over her parents. She's just sullen and withdrawn the whole time. You know that...
1: Well, that is kind of how kids... I would.
0: knew you'd say that. I <laughs> knew you'd fucking say that.
1: <laughs> Sorry.
0: At one point, she gets asked by Megan during a demonstration when they're supposed to be like, I love you, Megan. They're in front of a bunch of investors. Uh, Megan's like... Uh, she's like, I'm just so sad because my parents are dead. And Megan says, well, think, try and think about one good thing about them. And she says, I can't think of one good thing. I'm like, why are you sad then? Have you met children? <laughs> People who made this... And I know, in fact, they have, because the director directed Housebound, and it has moments like that. It's a very similar theme at the beginning, where a truculent girl gets saddled with, in this case, the foster mum from Hunt for the Wilder People. And both Housebound and Wilder People have these moments. After this and Thor Love and Thunder, not Ragnarok, Love and Thunder... I'm beginning to feel like if you pass a New Zealand sensibility of filmmaking through a filter of Hollywood, you suck the heart out of it. Because it honestly is like the whole film is chiding Gemma for being dismissive with her child. And effectively, the subtext of this film is she gives her Megan mm. so that she can work, gotcha. but also so that the kid can test Megan. Mm. And then, like, it turns out that the the, the the kid and Megan bond pretty much straight away. And there you get a hell of a lot of AI. And there's quite a bit of, I've taken responsibility for this thing. But it's not really responsibility for Megan. It's responsibility for the child. So it's one of those AI films where it doesn't really consider us as parents of AI that we need to be responsible for it. Now, ultimately, she's given the AI to the kid... And that sort of creates a weird feedback loop where Megan really does bond with Katie. uh, But she does that whole Asimov's Law thing of the whole uh, to to not harm or allow to come to harm. And so she's like, right, so anybody who even vaguely threatens this kid, I can, I'm just going to go ahead and kill. Gemma's uh, neighbor uh, has a dog that uh, keeps busting through. There's a hole in the fence. And at one point later on, the, the 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 friendly police officer says, you might want to get that hole in your fence fixed. And I'm like, subtext! But it never actually happens. Also, there was a friendly, affable police officer who's actually really funny in Housebound. Oh, God, I cannot recommend Housebound enough, folks. Gemma is horrible to her uh, neighbour over the fence uh, for spraying her begonias with chemicals and for her rotten dog shitting on the in the yard and she says i'm going to kill that dog later on and but that's specifically after the 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 dog fucking grabs megan by the head starts savaging her and then rips at the uh, little girl's arm and then these two are horrible to each other and i'm like you know what this film is kind of misanthropic and that's when i realized that pretty much everyone in this film is either a dick or a moron or a moronic dick and Gemma is on a path to learning, oh, I've been way too dismissive and I needed to, to, to say, I, I set aside everything and the only thing I care about is this child. That is, that is what a parent should be. They should set aside absolutely everything and they should just focus on the child. There's no point in between. It's a straight line with negligence at the bottom and total monastic devotion at the top. And it's a binary situation. There is literally nowhere in between that you can find a happy medium. New mothers who might be experiencing the very real effects of postnatal depression, which can really, really bring you down and sap your strength and all of that loss of sleep. You're being bad. You're being bad women. Okay, stay up. You got a kid to deal with. Okay, the movies told me so. You know, there are some people who would say, if you look after yourself, you will be better equipped to look after your children, but they're... wrong. I hate getting hectored and lectured by movies regarding parenting. I especially don't like it because this isn't a parent, this is a guardian. And she said, yeah, I'll be guardian to her sister at some point off screen in some prior conversation we never saw, we now have any in- implication of the relationship between the two of them, it seems to be saying you millennials letting your kids just sort of sit there on their iPads all the time, playing with, uh, on the iPads. Do you it's think
1: like, millennials can afford kids?
0: <laughs> a, there's that. But that's the thing. Gemma, having no kids and being 30, like clearly doesn't want kids, and she has a kid dumped on her, so they're, they're, they're criticising her for her hands-off kid-rearing style. She's not a parent!
1: Also, that exclusive hyper-focus on your child so that they can have absolutely all of your attention, that's that's good. For about the first three or four years... This kid's ten. After that, the more intensely you focus on the child, the more the kid starts to think, gee, mum and dad have this weird investment in how I behave and turn out this is too much pressure
0: this kid's 10 and likes drawing Mm -hmm. the one thing she could think about that was good about her mum is that uh, Cockroach was in her bag and her mum screamed and ran out of the house that's the only good thing do you know that bit in Super 8 where Joe remembers his mum and I'm like I really care about you Joe I care about your mum and I feel the pain of that absence
2: he drank that morning my dad He missed his shift. Your mom took it for him. The day of the accident.
0: But there's nothing like that. There's not even a similar scene to that delivered in a different way in this film. Katie is empty. Empty. I don't like this kid, she and her mother had no rapport, she and her aunt have no rapport. Mm. At this point, I'm on Megan's side. I was
1: just going to say, if you're revealing your characters by their relationships, Megan's got the most going.
0: Because Megan is basically given a learning computer because they show a big crunk, 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 chonker early on. A big bruiser, like a fighting robot type. That Gemma made when she was in college. You know, she made it of iron because she wanted it to be able to defeat whatever adversaries they threw at it. And it's six feet tall and could kill a man. Easily. That's uh, just been sat in a corner. And I'm like, A, that's not how batteries work. I can't even fucking keep my iPad charged. <laughs> uh, if he's been sat in a corner for that Your long... Your
1: keyboard dies if you leave it or switched on there.
0: He is fucking dead. But okay, it's fine. B... I like the fact that you're showing us Kung, that you can control his hands with these gloves. But you're going to need to show us also that you can move his feet for later on when you need to do a get away from her, you bitch moment. You're not going to show us that? Okay, that's fine. I'll just wait. Is,
1: is I'll
0: just wait. And there we are. And
1: Is it called the Crushinator? It is. No, Ma, I love her.
0: Anyway. I, I don't want to approach this in terms of that I, I you know,'m I'm, I'm just a, a cynical fucking Gen Xer who's seen it all. I actually like the fact that they went in various different directions with this, and the Megan learning, is actually a little bit Ultron in that she, like, she starts creating subroutines for herself and she starts finding out about stuff. Unfortunately, she's also a massive snot. And so when she imparts people with information, she sort of like tells them, you know, uh, you're going to need to put a coaster underneath that glass. Oh, really? Why is that, Megan? This prevents damp spots on your table. <laughs> Thank you, Megan, but how did the water get on the outside of the glass? It's funny you should ask that. If you're going to make a movie about an uncanny, creepy robot that is almost human, it's probably not a good idea to make your actors act like they're strange, human-shaped gonk things that contain no complex emotions. There's a reason Megan, the film, is really, really popular. Just looking at her makes you go, that's a horror movie right there. The creator of Five Nights at Freddy's, Scott Cawthorn, began that series trying to play it straight and make a game with cute animals. Jim Stephanie Sterling pointed out that these animals belong in a nightmare. And Scott Cawthorn went back to basics and thought, "Okay, I'll make a horror game out of it. They knew what they were doing when they made Megan. The problem is, everyone in the film doesn't act like, oh, she's so fucking creepy, she should be in a horror movie. This is really fascinating. Look at her dance on TikTok. They go, well, she is really neat. Specifically, Katie. I would be fine with the idea of Katie going, oh, I love her, she's so creepy. You know, like uh, Scott's daughter in uh, the original Ant-Man when he gives her that disgusting bunny and she goes, he's so ugly, I love him. That's having personality, that's being relatable, that's being a kid. Katie is a dog in a room that's on fire, looking at Megan and going, this is fine. I don't need films to be realistic. In fact, I kind of tend to prefer films that are less realistic. But there needs to be some sense of grounding in the characters when we're presented with the odd and the weird. The humans are our baseline. If they behave in ways we wouldn't, what you end up with is a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Like The Lobster. Oh, thank you for telling me all of this stuff. I find it very interesting different evaporated liquids to the glass because of the change in temperature and i'm like no kid is not going to go thanks megan i fucking got it like it 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 doesn't seem to know what children are like whilst it's criticizing parenting but here's the other thing like that that actually began when in her first night in this house at no point did either of them cry over the uh, uh like the, the 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 death of her of her sister like it's it never I, I was like i i'm sure i've got this right she's her sis she's the sister of the one who died right and at no point does that register to her in other words she hated her sister okay that's food let's explore that too you're not going to do that either okay cool fair enough so no human she emotions not feel
1: strongly about her sister one way or the other all
0: the emotions come from the fucking robot that wants to live <laughs> So I'm like, okay, so are we going to go somewhere with this? And eventually it does sort of end up going in in kind of a uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes direction. And I do feel that that is a massive compliment to Megan in terms of what she's like. Remember there was problems with their neighbors that, uh, uh, you know, there's an angry neighbor and ends up getting his finger bitten off. Well, let me tell you, that neighbor with the dog ends up getting more than a finger bitten off in this. And there's also this horrible boy who, when they're at a soccer meet, which is also picking up conkers, uh, bullies Katie and ends up, well, he comes a cropper, let's just say that, and Megan gets a taste for blood. But Katie's still really into Megan. (laughs) I started to notice here as the uh, violence began to escalate. Oh, they've made some substantial cuts. Did not know this was a PG-13 as I walked in. It was a 15 in the UK, and I think quite rightly it's got some serious brutality in it. There will no doubt be a unrated version that has blood spray and flesh getting ripped off and all kinds of chemical shit happening, but I can see why this being really really popular on social media you wouldn't want to restrict your audience by making this an R Massive props I think really need to go to the combination of performers and whatever CG trickery and any practical that went into the the creation of Megan my guess is a lot of her was just a child actor with a CG'd on face which reminded me of um, Alita Battle Angel which do you remember much about that? Yes that feels much more like a Pinocchio story mm. or a Galatea, rather than, um, which is why she's called Galley. Mm. Effectively, she is the commando elite all in one person. But it is that same scenario of a, a scientist who really, really wants to accomplish something and so does it behind their loudmouth boss's back and then comes up with something that actually really works so the boss gets dollar signs in their eyes and is like, right, we've got to do a massive presentation. And he wants to live stream it. And he also specifically says... Make sure that you write down what you just said for me in bullet points, so that it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. And it's like they're really spearheading that asshole boss. But of course, it has none of that like sort of heartache of Planet of the Apes, that whole the reason that the reason that Caesar is there, and the reason they were researching this was to was to look into Alzheimer's for a very personal attempt to save his father's mind. But ultimately, because Megan comes across as so human, it sort of strays more into the path of the good son. Do you remember that one with Macaulay Culkin? And uh, you've mm. got this uh, this kid with the creepy friend. But in that, Elijah Wood is scared of Macaulay Culkin in that because it's a natural response to a creepy fucker. And then eventually the aunt comes around to that, you know, what? because she watches the kid talking about how Meghan is always there for her. And she is warned by a social worker I think you're creating um, connections to this robot that won't be there forever. And, you know, what if you do have to eventually take take her away? And it's Cody does come off as addicted to Megan and ends up sort of you know, spitting and gnashing and lashing out. And again, because we haven't seen any kind of built-up affection between these two, it doesn't seem like anything's really been degraded. It's just that she's gone feral. It also reminded me a little of Mama. Do you remember the... Yes. Uh, the the There is a a woman who gets saddled, it's Jessica Chastain, gets saddled with being a mom in that, and she did not ask for that. But there's a direct conflict between her and Mama. Produced by Guillermo del Toro, directed by Andy Muschietti, who did It. I never like to come at anything that's getting overwhelming positivity. This is at 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. I never like to pour cold water on something like that without providing examples of where I thought it was done better that you could look into yourself. I take no pleasure in being scathing, that is a lie. But I take more pleasure in adulation. Therefore, if you liked Megan, you've got other things that are a bit like it to check out. If you didn't like Megan or you don't really wanna see Megan now that I've talked about it like that, you've got other things to check out. It hasn't been released yet, but I would imagine the pitch meeting will say something a little bit like this wasn't that guy asking her to make a Furby for half the price so that they could corner the market against their competitors kinda seems like introducing investors to not only the world's most advanced learning AI but also housing it inside a combat ready battle chassis that seems designed to hunt and kill children might have other markets like say military markets and not like a Tamagotchi that you feed with your iPad I mean how do they even have all these resources hey shut up anyway I was thinking that the jerk ass boss who's always interfering could get murdered in an elevator oh it's hard not to feel a little hurt by that development. I feel like it would have veered into Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom territory if the military had immediately become interested in, in Megan. It also seems more likely in a world where people pay a thousand dollars for a phone that you know will be obsolete in two years or so. That the price for a doll that can do what Megan can do. Like I can understand if Megan had limited movement and could like maybe like turn her head and move her arms and things and like, say these things. But she is, like, she moves like Gally in uh, Alita. Like, she is a fucking kill model. And I'm like, why did you give her all the abilities to kill people? Like, when she hunts, she goes down on all fours at one point. I'm like, oh, that is fucking creepy. Well done. Again, the the effects team and the way they make her all janky and, like, her movements inhuman and, and weirdly staccato and amy donald as megan's body and jenna davis as megan's voice everyone's on top form there but again they do their job so well that they convinced me immediately that she should never have been made like this the pistons in her body are far too powerful
1: yeah yeah why would your bodyguard model need to be small Mm-hmm. Why would your thing that moves like a dog model also need to be able to get up and walk, walk bipedally? I mean, I have seen there are companies developing robots that walk like people and robots that walk like dogs. They're not the same robots.
0: <laughs> but again, again, like it's the, the whole thing is metaphorical. The problem is when it really boils down to it, that the, the midsection is. For the love of God, you've got to connect with your kids. You can't just give them a screen to look at. But then if you reflect back on what happened to kids in the 80s and the 90s, they even in another Blumhouse film the uh, Chris's problem was that he was glued to the TV and didn't want to get up and go and uh, deal with the possibility that his mother might be in trouble. Jim Carrey Creepfest the Cable Guy that most people have forgotten is about a boy who grew up being raised by TV. This issue is not new. Remove the layers of technology. It's the same principle. But yeah, reflect back further to the 1950s and we just saw Tree of Life. Brad Pitt plays an archetypal 50s 60s father. He's distant from his kids and overly patrician and can't connect with them emotionally. Responds to losses of control with violence. And this is the era when families were like, right okay, it's the afternoon, you kids leave the house, go outside stay outside. I cannot deal with you. And so kids went out and they jumped in front of trains and electrocuted themselves on power lines, drowned in creeks, ate glass, did all the, you know, wholesome outdoor activities that kids do, until paedophilia became a cultural terror and then the kids were ushered back inside so that they could be kept an eye on by the TV. If only children's lives could be more simple again. Because if you go back further to the Victorian age, you had a, a generation of parents who worked their kids to death. This is, this is not linked with technology. The issue is systemic. It's dicey to start blaming an unwilling godmother and a hardworking toy designer, engineer, scientist, marketer. She's very busy. She has all the roles at the company for not immediately falling into the role of the Betty Crocker mother.
4: All this aggression is terrible actually. You see that everywhere. People have, you know, you think you're mad at the other motorist in that case. Probably something else, you know, it's probably something in your own past. Probably, I don't know, mad at your mother or something. That's why you find yourself as a 45-year-old person on the street shouting. There must be a story behind all those people you see mumbling on the street. Having those intense conversations that look really, really significant, except nobody else is there, and the you know you're probably mad at something. I don't, because everybody remembers you would be alone in the, in the kitchen, and uh, twilight would be dwindling, and you could hear the far off cries of the other children playing nearby, and you knew you'd be alone in the kitchen because it was your special treat time where the the jelly would come out just for you and your mother would appear at your side just as vision of Laura Ashley print dress smelling of magnolias and biscuits and (laughs) put the jelly in front of you and and you would pull your chair in and then the old-fashioned bar of ice cream would come down, the one that had to be cut with a bread knife before the two sides were flanked with wafers. And (laughs) you would lift your little spoon up excitedly to press it in and winkle out that first divot of black jelly and and, and then the cage would come down <laughs> the cage with the Japanese fighting spiders inside <laughs> she would strike a match off her forearm and go and tell you to dance in the front room for money <laughs> and you never forget that shit you know it never goes through.
0: And Gemma is painted as an archetypal millennial, childless, busy, working, hates dogs, that's inaccurate. She'd be like, oh good papa, focused. And if I may interject, I'd say millennials are probably just a little bit better as parents than adults in the 50s and 60s, sloshing back liquor as hard and as fast as they possibly could because that's what adults do. I would say, in fact, conversely, millennials might be a little bit better at being parents because we're immature. And I say we because as a very, very late Generation X, a very, very early millennial, I kind of have my foot in both camps. The ones who are the most adult of us tend to be the most controlling and they like to buy those white mugs with the tall thin font and they heavily disapprove of using the term adulting as a verb. But I cannot imagine my parents taking a genuine interest in what I was into at any point in my childhood or even my teenage years. They never sat down and watched Star Wars or Thundercats with me. They never talked for ages about Ghostbusters. They weren't into Marvel. They didn't like plastic men that fight. That's a direct quote. And my mom only liked my taste in music when I became a teenager, which is fair. But Willow, myself and Sharon have so many points of interest that correspond with one another. And I definitely left Willow in front of the TV for a lot of their young life. But it wasn't inane shit, it was The Last Airbender, and Futurama, and Gravity Falls, and the DC Animated Universe, and the 2012 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Spectacular Spider-Man, and Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, and Studio Ghibli, and the Disney 90s Renaissance, and Pixar. The things they liked the best we also liked and they're sensitive and they're sheltered and they're really smart and really funny and compassionate and creative and afraid of anger and are prone to overwhelm and we do have problems with them spending too much time glued to the ipad or glued to the switch but they're also independent they like to do things for themselves when i came in the other day they were baking peanut butter cookies which they'd gone out and gotten the ingredients for themselves They experimented, got the first lot just right, burnt the second lot a little bit, but they were still good. Having a child is so much more than hand-waving, I will devote every second of every moment of my life to this thing. The opposite being unlimited screen time. But I do think we're progressing as a society. Not making them be chimney sweeps is an upgrade. Not saying children should be seen, but not heard is an upgrade. Not saying, back in my day, if I'd said that, my father would have beaten me half to death, and it didn't do me any harm, is an upgrade. Because if you genuinely believe that, it did do you harm. If you think that children are too soft and need to be hurt more, it did you harm.
3: He treats it... so... Take care of my kids. You're supposed to be a dumb motherfucker. What are you talking about? What are you bragging about? What kind of ignorant shit is that? I ain't never been to jail. What, you want a cookie? You're not supposed to go to jail, you low expectation ever, motherfucker.
0: But yeah, the movie almost immediately heaps disapproval on Gemma for her lifestyle. This is within days of her sister's death. She's not got her shit together, neither has the kid. So the symbolism you're trying to hash out of this one is not on fertile ground to be planted. It began that way because the kid's with her parents... So your aunt got you this expensive doll. The least you could do is play with it. I don't want to. She's creepy. That's a film where you can point at the parents and go there. That's the problem. Hmm. But again, they also make the decision when the social worker comes around, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm the social worker. Could Could I see you play? That's what? Could I see you play? I want to just be here for like 50 minutes or so. 15? 50. 50 minutes. And you want us to what? Play, play for me. How long have we've been together? Two days. I've I've seen this kid at like Thanksgivings. And, no, play for me. Okay, play ball, we don't have any balls. That thing over there looks like a ball. It's it's kind of, uh, it's a collectible. And this social worker is shocked. Shocked, I tell you, shocked and appalled that a young kid in the 2020s does not have an abundance of plastic toys. You are aware that Toys R Us, the store that met the flood of demand for plastic toys for Generation X and millennials only and Gen Z for a while, but not anymore. Filed for bankruptcy in 2017, and in 2018 it closed all of its US, British and Australian locations. Tried to come back, but then there was a pandemic. The toy market is not what it once was. The average person who buys Star Wars figures is 45, and has more hair on his face than on his head. Well, you don't have a cup and ball or a stick and hoop. Me and the girls used to play with our girls' world. What was that? Oh, it was a woman's severed head, and you kind of put makeup on her, and you style her hair, and you put rollers on her. It was macabre. You got anything like that? I want to see you play with what kids play with now. Is this the social worker's first day? There's a reason why playing ball in the backyard with your dad is cinematic shorthand for an emotional place. It's not about the toy itself it's because it's a catch and response. You're connecting. And A, this girl looks like she'd be a little bit embarrassed and feel like she was a bit too old to just play ball. She certainly feels awkward and embarrassed during this scene. But also, there are an abundance of electronic ways you can play games together. But since they've only been around each other for two days, feels like you need to give them a little bit of time to look for that. Maybe some advice rather than just roll that thing at her, do it! It will amuse me. But advice from someone a little bit more tech savvy who knows what kids like now. Top of my head, you probably got something in the house that can play Super Mario Kart. We definitely, DEFINITELY have a real problem disappearing into our phones, disappearing into our iPads. Immersing ourselves in video games to keep out the horror of the outside world. At one point, Gemma just sort of slides her iPad across the table and says, uh, you can play with that, you know, FaceTime a friend or something. And it's like, no, she can't. All her numbers are on her iPad, which got smashed in the wreck. You would know that. You're tech savvy. And on the first night, she's trying to put her to bed. It's like, aren't you going to read me a story? Oh, did your mom read to you? Yeah. First question, what were you in the middle of? And then Gemma starts downloading an app to read a book to her. And it takes a while. And again, the film seems to be disapproving that she doesn't have an abundance of children's books in the house. She's a 30-year-old woman. She doesn't have Sweep, the story of a girl and her monster on her shelf. But unlike any prior age to this, you find out what book they were halfway through that is now hundreds of miles away in the girl's house, you jump on the Kindle app, you download the Princess Thieves, and you find out where they were. You carry on. You give the girl some continuity. This is blaming over-reliance on modern convenience rather than having the thing. But they're at crossed purposes here by saying, there are no toys, what happened to all the capitalism? We tried to get Willow into toys. And there'll be plenty of parents listening who are like, my kids love toys. But the market has shifted away from the basic and towards the complex. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. There's like a modern scale extric in this movie. And I'm thinking, no kid nowadays is into Scalextric unless their dad, unless their granddad hauls a lethal 1980s Scalextric kit out from the loft. But how many gothic novels from a hundred or more years ago feature a little kid whose parents die tragically foisted onto someone who really can't deal with kids? The Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett was not going, it's all the fault of this goddamn industrial revolution! though maybe it should have been. And this is not in defense of apps instead of toys. I prefer toys, and apps aimed at kids are fucking predatory. Same as all those toy commercials we used to watch in the 80s and 90s. But there is an absence of nuance in this argument.
3: Gleaming in the morning light, home of Shira's shining bright, crystal-
2: Castle. You put it together, she whistles separately, you can pretend.
3: Magic things shine everywhere, cause it has a secret power. Lifted high on her throne, She-Ra the world alone. The fate of the world safe in Crystal Castle.
2: castle comes with everything you see here. She dolls held separately. New from Mattel.
0: And she like tears this thing out of the packaging and is like there's other things that it can do like it's a it's a game where you And it's like, roll it like a tennis ball. And it's like you do realize that social workers are there to stop foster parents beating children to death right? Like they're always villainized in movies as Poking their noses in. But ultimately, this social worker was absolutely right. She's not bonding with the kid. She's just saying it in the wrong way. She doesn't get killed, thankfully. Well done for not killing the busybody social worker.
1: Okay.
0: Clap. Clap. Clap.
1: So this is a bit Miles Needs Moms, isn't it?
0: It is, but also, Megan wants to go out into the world... Like, Megan has sort of become self-aware, much like Skynet, and clearly has plans. And we'll see what happens in the inevitable sequel, because this thing only cost $12 million. And I checked. Ridley Scott managed to get, out of 20th Century Fox, $241 million combined for his rotten Prometheus and Alien Covenant film series when he only needed $12 million to make the David film. Which is what this is. Kids of course do still play with toys, and there are other stores available beside Toys R Us. That was just our canary down the mine regarding the long-term viability of the ever-expanding toy bubble as we knew it. Exactly as the film suggests, there are a lot of toys that have been released in recent years that rely on some kind of digital component or connection to a plastic thing that you hold with varying levels of success, similar to Amiibo or Skylanders or Lego Dimensions or Disney Infinity. Remember how much much we wasted on the concept of toys to life, well in many ways it's still alive. Nowadays the surprise egg unwrapping sensation on YouTube has led to a surge of interest in gacha type products. Blind bag little figures where the kid doesn't actually know what they're going to get. Gacha products are designed precisely like gambling. You hand over your money, you get a surge of adrenaline and endorphins, and then when you get your payout, you get dopamine. The toys are not actually what they're selling. It's the chemicals. And it is, of course, exactly the same for digital loot boxes. I collect, at the moment, 6-inch Marvel Legends, and when I went to my local Smith's toy store, which is about the size of a Toys R Us, and located two blocks from the shuttered Toys R Us, I noted back in 2019 that hardly... Any of the Star Wars figures from previous films were on the shelf. Like, they'd just opened this store and they had not gone, we must make sure we get Rogue One, Last Jedi and Solo figures, even though they were lining the shelves collecting dust in the local The Entertainer store. They didn't even have Rise of Skywalker. But across the aisle, the Fortnite-related toy section loomed overhead like the frigging Death Star. And when I found the Marvel Legends, again, bear in mind how monolithic the movies are, how instrumental they are in cinema discourse, despite being three of the 300-plus movies released worldwide every year. Well, those Marvel Legends could not contest with the world-shattering size of the next line along one I'd never heard of, can't even remember the name of, and amounted to, here is a big plastic egg, inside is a dinosaur of some kind. And then I turned again and found a wall of Funko Pops, just floor to ceiling, all staring out at me with the blackest of eyes. I backed away, it was like a Kubrick film also the other massive elephant in the room is the grandparents in Florida. Why go to the trouble of giving Gemma an easy out if you aren't going to challenge her directly with this? Introduce that possibility. The father's parents will take Katie slightly later in the movie. Make that a source of emotional tension. Make it feel like Gemma does actually have a certain sense of duty to her departed sister, but things aren't going so well between her and the new kid, and she has to do something, and now the pressure's on, because the grandparents want it. That makes the creation of Megan, her response to this scenario, her obsession for control grows as she feels it slipping away. That's drama. Instead, they just get hand-waved as, oh, she's not going to them, they live in Florida, they're weird. On behalf of everyone who lives in Florida and is just as tired of the headlines like, Florida man and his lifelong alligator nemesis engage in public shootout at Jacksonville Hooters, thus showing up the entire state yet again. Ouch. Gemma's issue is not that she's negligent. She hasn't got the practice yet. She's a brand new, unexpected foster mum and guardian. Her issue is, and always has been, control. Making Megan is emblematic of that desperation for control, whereas splashing the water on the table and not on a coaster is symbolic of a chaotic loss of control. Kids are chaotic by their very nature, ergo her actual journey to embracing her role and genuinely caring for the child It's supposed to entail embracing that and entering into an agreement with the kid that the unchecked id is going to be safe with the marshalling influence of the caring superego. Because here's the thing, and a movie we saw just last night, The Boy and the Beast, from one of my favourite Japanese directors, Mamoru Hosoda, that agreement between child and adult goes both ways with the child teaching the adult just as much. But how do you have that principle explored and still get your movie about a super intelligent robot child who learns at an exponential rate? Well, for that, you're going to need a different third act because ostensibly, Megan is Katie's child. But in doing that, you also don't get your crowd-pleasing Robots Gone Wild climax. And you want that money, don't you?
1: Inevitable sequel, then. Uh, Megan is going to start realising that having the body of a child really limits where she can go and what she can do.
0: I'd say that body's kind of a write-off. Um,
1: okay. <laughs> fair
0: enough. I would expect her to be more like Ultron by that point. Okay. But
1: uh, I mean, yeah, they'll...
0: I'm, I'm sure the creepy doll will return, but uh, my guess would also I'm just be... thinking
1: a... full-on Claudia breakdown.
0: My guess will be that for some reason and somehow, Westworld Toy Productions will make Megan... And it'll be an army of this extremely iconic, memetic, doll woman things. They may even attempt a, uh, villain rehabilitation, because she certainly has the intelligence to ponder her own existence beyond slaughter.
2: Oh. I see you have all been enjoying this new movie starring my daughter, Megan. Well... While you are laying fat dollars at the feet of a faceless corporation some of you are doing the same for this independent, crowdfunded podcast. It's okay if you would rather save that money for Half Life 3, which is definitely definitely still coming right around the corner behind Silk Song Just You Wait. In the meantime Alex would like to thank the following test subjects. Aaron Lacluze A, Abel Savard, Alexandra Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hofer, Brian Novick, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dochtler, Kana Kennedy, Dan Meyer, Daniel Salgero, Dan Hoepner, Dave Hickman, David Shealy, Finbar Nickel, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jay Wright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clauson, Joe Gluck, Josh Westa, Kat Hussman, Kevin Veighi, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Palmier, Matthew A. Seibert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Timu Helashair U, Tim Rosinski, Timothy Green, Toby Skeels Jungius, Toby Skeels U U S S. Just Toby, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras and Valencia Burns. Those of you who also wish to be test subjects, please sign up for our Patreon. At the $15 level, you will receive your welcome package in the mail that is definitely not filled with robot spiders.
0: By no means the worst example I've seen of this kind of film. I can't hold it against Blumhouse for delivering people exactly what they want.
1: Blumhouse have done very well so far doing precisely that.
0: (laughs) But I wish it had been one of those Blumhouse films where you go, wow, that had no business just being a regular old build horror thriller because it's so much better than that. Mm -hmm. Not on a Jordan Peele level. I've just realised what uh, song we're going to end on.
3: In a town, in the woods, at the top of a hill, there's a house where no one lives. So you take a big bag of your big city money there, and buy it. But at night, when the house is dark, and you're all alone, there's a noise upstairs. At the top of the stairs, there's a door, and you take a deep breath and try it. And the flashlight shows you something the door. There's a tattered dress and a feeling you have felt somewhere before. And there's a creepy doll that always follows